0: The Gospel reading this morning is from Mark 8. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. For those of you who are not here live, I really hope that uh, you'll be able to Participate in one of these uh, in the next couple of weeks because it's just a, a beautiful setting and is so different than uh, just being on Zoom. And I'm so grateful to to be here. Uh, I've got to get used to preaching standing up again. Usually I'm sitting at at a desk and I don't have to worry about like where I'm moving and where I'm standing and so forth. But I have to have to stay close to the microphone so you guys can hear me. Uh, what an interesting question that comes up in the text that Jesus gives to his disciples, what a challenging question, what an, what an important question. Is there, is there any more important question, as a matter of fact, anything that would be more foundational to the church's existence and identity and calling than this question of who do people say that I am? Who do people say that Jesus is? Now, the order of questions that Jesus gives his disciples is, is rather curious because it's not, first of all, what who do you say that I am, but who do people say that I am? Who are these people that he is talking about? Well, Mark tells us that Jesus and his disciples had come to this region of Caesarea Philippi. And these place names like this are one of the reasons that you pick up a study Bible or that maybe you buy one to have on hand because these place names are so significant and they're so important to understanding uh, the text that contains them. And it's important to know what and where Caesarea Philippi was, what kind of city it was, what is significant about this town. Well, around 20 BC, it had been started. It had been planted. It had been um, established by uh, King Herod. Or at least he had been given rulership over it. Now, this is not the Herod that we've been reading about in Mark so far. That's Herod Antipas. This is his father, Herod the Great. And Herod built up this city basically to honor Caesar. To to be, uh, to show devotion to uh, the Roman Empire. And he even built a, a temple of marble that was devoted to Caesar. Now, after Herod died in four, round four BC, the regent passed to his son Philip, who further built up the place and renamed it Caesarea Philippi, or basically Philip's Caeserville. That's what this term means. This whole city is a devotion to the Roman Empire and the mythology and the power that goes behind that. This whole city was constructed to elevate him to pay homage to him. At the same time, the Caesareans were ecumenical people because there was also a, a Syrian temple to Baal, a Greek temple to pan and 11 other assorted temples 14 temples of worship in this one small town so this penniless homeless itinerant jewish preacher comes to this town with his tiny little band of disciples asking who do people say that i am The disciples answer him in a very typical Jewish fashion. Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But you see, that's the answer that would be given, were they in Jerusalem? Jesus was a nobody in Caesarea Philippi. This was sort of downtown Pagansburg. Maybe he's a a spiritual leader, a spiritual leader. Maybe he is a Messiah, but he's in the wrong town to be talking about the Messiah. He's in the wrong place to be talking about the answer. But what has Jesus been trying to get the disciples to realize for the last few chapters? That he is not just another version, improved as he may be, of John the Baptist. He's not a resurrected Elijah. He's not Jeremiah 2.0. He's not just another temple. He's not just another option. He's what? Who do you say that I am? You see, it's no longer who do people say, but who do you say I am? And who responds in this moment? Peter, you are... The Messiah. Peter is saying in response to Jesus, Jesus, you are the true king. You are the ruler who has come to turn back evil, all evil. You are the son of the living God. You are the anointed one, the one who will come to rescue his people. That's what Messiah means. That's the confession that Peter is making. Now, in our day, we talk about aha moments. We talk about epiphanies, which are sort of these gifts of awareness, these gifts of comprehension that come upon us, that in some way we don't expect and have no control over. Perhaps we've been noodling on a problem. We've been trying to think about a solution for something difficult happening in our lives. Maybe a project has got us stymied, and then suddenly inspiration strikes. It comes upon us. We've been trying to get the answer, we've been trying to find the solution, and nothing happens. And then all of a sudden, something from out of nowhere comes and it gives us the answer, the solution, the direction that. We knew we needed, but we didn't know where to get it. We can't create these aha moments. We can't create these epiphanies. They have to almost sneak up on us. Now, Peter was out fishing one day. He was just at work, probably a normal Tuesday. And revelation came upon him. Peter, drop your nets and follow me the biggest, most substantial, most significant moment in his entire life walks up to him unexpectedly. And he responds with his entire life. He's all in. A decision that is reaffirmed here in chapter 8. And one that most of us would consider foolhardy, if not completely irrational. Who would look around at all these temples, at all these competing religious schemes in a city set up to memorialize the most powerful guy in the world, the one who has all the swords and all the calvary and an execution method known as the cross? Who would look at all of that and say to an unarmed, homeless rabbi with no power and no cultural capital? And say to him, you're the one. You are the Messiah. The only way that Peter connects these dots, the only way that you and I connect these dots is by grace. It is by divine inspiration that comes upon us. The only way that we connect those dots is if the Father in heaven reveals it to us. In fact, Matthew's version of the same event tells us more directly that blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, our son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You see, Jesus is telling Peter this has been revealed to you. It is by grace you know this. You weren't smarter than everyone else. You didn't solve the problem yourself. You didn't connect all the dots. And in fact, we see oftentimes the disciples are unwilling to connect the dots. But here in this moment, this revelation is given to him. Now, if Peter was into any self-preservation interest at all, he would have given this supposed gift right back to Jesus, because Jesus' movement was challenging the greatest military power in the world, out in the open, now on its home turf in Caesarea Philippi. But Peter's confession, this revelation that has been given to him that Jesus is in fact the Messiah, it changes everything. Peter now recognized that God is renewing his promise that the true king was returning to take up his throne and heal the world as it had been described over and over in the Hebrew Bible. And now Peter is saying to Jesus, that's that's you. You're the one who's being described in all of those passages. Our, Our hopes have been fulfilled the promises are being are coming true now if you're sitting here today in Mac, Matt's backyard or at home on zoom and your confession is that Jesus is the Messiah then you know the secret of the world you know what's behind everything that we see. And this knowledge has been given to you. It's been revealed to you. It's come upon you. And on one hand, it's cause for great thanksgiving. We should be the most grateful people in the world because the knowledge of the grace and mercy of God has come upon us. His joy and justice and his promises have been revealed to you personally. And so there is room, there is reason for great thanksgiving. On the other hand, we may want to look this gift horse in the mouth. Maybe we should have mixed feelings about this so-called gift. Because it's not just a gift of personal salvation, as grateful as we would be for that. But it is a calling. It's a challenge to drop your nets and follow the Jesus that you say you believe. And follow him where? Well, here, Jesus travels in Mark. His itinerary is taking a turn. Because Caesarea Philippi is pretty much as far from Galilee as Mark takes him in this story and he begins to turn away from this Gentile place and turn toward what? He turns toward Jerusalem. He steers directly to the place where Messiah isn't just one more claimant of spiritual enlightenment. But he goes to the place where him being Messiah is a volatile, a dangerous term. It's a political term. It's a theologically rich and definite term. And it is a direct threat to Herod's rule. And it's a direct threat to hundreds of years of establishment religion in Jerusalem. That's where Jesus is turning to go. And so Peter and any of the other disciples that are saying, yes, that you are the Messiah, that that is where they are going. And they are putting their lives in peril. So who do you say that Jesus is? Is that the kind of Messiah that you have aligned your thinking, your profession, as well as your life with? Who do you say that I am is sort of the question that all of us have to answer. It is the most foundational question from which all other questions and answers follow. And for in town, in order for us to be the church that Jesus wants us to be, we have to know definitively who Jesus is. That he is the Messiah that has come Not to resurrect the political fortunes of Israel or any particular political tribe, but to set the entire world right. And a church is only as healthy, is only as vibrant and strong. It's only a threat to injustice to the degree that it believes this, that Jesus is the Messiah, the who of Jesus' question. A church that isn't content merely to talk about Jesus as the Messiah or to put it in our statement of faith, but one that, because that is true, longs to give that confession flesh and blood and hands and feet, to bring that confession into all aspects of life and to address the ruin and the injustice and the death that exists all around us that our calling as people and a church is to befriend the friendless and the forgotten, just like the Messiah that we follow did. To say, take the side of the, the poor and the disadvantaged over the interest of the rich and the strong and the status quo and the establishment. To be people of hope in the midst of a culture of distraction and death. There's an iconic scene in the movie Shawshank Redemption where the two main characters, Andy and Red, are talking in the prison yard and Andy is talking about life outside the walls of a beach in Mexico and of new life there. But Red stops him and cautions him. He cautions him to actually against having hope about having these visions of a better life because they just torture you when you're inside a prison. And he says, Mexico is way down there, and you're in here. Red is a realist, understandably, because he's been in prison for two decades at that point. But Andy is a dreamer. He's a visionary. He hasn't been in long enough to grow completely cynical. He still has a bit of hope. And Andy says it comes to a simple choice, really. Either get busy living or get busy dying. To know who Jesus is, that he is God's Messiah, is to also know who you are and who we are. That we as a church and that you as individuals are loved children of God. That God sent his emissary in the flesh to remind us that We are made in his image. That we are made to be so much more than we would think to be otherwise. If Jesus' Messiahship wasn't revealed to us. And that we are called, we are in a sense conscripted into a movement of grace over law and justice uprooting injustice. Of hope in the face of death. Because we believe but there's a a third party, an alien voice, the voice of Jesus saying to each of us to get busy living or get busy dying. Let's pray that each of us in our family life, in our individual life, in our work life, and that we as a church would be a church that is alive with the gospel, alive with the hope that Jesus is the Messiah coming to restore the world. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that you would make us to be people who believe, people who not only confess but trust that you have sent your Son to be the Messiah for the entire world, not just for in-town, not just for Israel, but for anyone who would come and lay their lives before you. Father, I pray that we collectively, collectively would lay our lives before you and that we would be a church, we would be a people that bring joy to others, that brings hope to others, just like your son Jesus did. And we pray in his name. Amen.